Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. How can you think this, that you've begun in the Spirit and now you're going to be perfected in the flesh? Your flesh that is tainted by sin is somehow going to make a positive contribution to what Christ did? You think that what Christ did is not enough to save you and you have to add on to it? Well, all you can add to it is something that's tainted by sin. That's certainly not going to help. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, in a message titled, O Foolish Galatians. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Galatians 3, this is where we find ourselves in our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we want to pick up our study. And let me just refresh your memory and just again look at the fact that the first two chapters kind of lay the foundation for everything that Paul is now going to go on and say. So Paul, in these first two chapters, he was really defending, he had to, unfortunately, he had to defend uh, both his apostleship and his gospel. So Paul comes to Galatia. Galatia is, is a Gentile region. He comes uh, with the gospel into a, a very paganistic environment. He brings that gospel in and, and all of these essentially pagan people come to put their faith in Christ and they're experiencing the glory and the wonder of God's presence and his power and his forgiveness and the transformation and, and all of that's happening. It's all wonderful. But then Paul leaves and he goes, he continues on in his journey to establish more churches. And in his absence, some come and they are false teachers and they begin to insinuate that Paul isn't really an apostle. He wasn't really part of that original band and therefore you can't trust him and his gospel isn't really the true gospel because if you really knew the gospel, you would know that it's connected to Moses and the law as well. And this is the kind of trip that they began to lay on the Galatians and sadly, the Galatians bought it hook, line, and sinker. And so in these first two chapters, it's all narrative, and Paul is walking them through the history, and he's saying, well, actually, no, I am an apostle. I was appointed uh, directly by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. No, I wasn't part of that original band, but I've been with them. I know them. We've had time together. We've ministered together. And as a matter of fact, those guys have nothing on me. There's, there's no, whatever, whatever they seem to be, Paul said, you know, there was, they didn't add anything to his faith. Uh, he was one with Peter, one with John, one with James. So he puts that to silence. And then also his gospel, he said, my gospel is the true gospel. It's the pure gospel. It's the gospel that I didn't receive from men. It's a gospel that I received from Christ himself. And so that's where Paul sort of ended with his uh, defense of his apostleship and his gospel. Now, beginning in chapter 3 and through the remainder of the epistle, now Paul is going to be uh, seeking to correct the error of the Galatians and to set them back on the path of grace. 
And so all the way through now, that's, that's really Paul's objective, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through. So, uh, but again, I want you to just kind of get in your mind just a visual of, of the background. And every time I read, especially this third chapter, these first five verses of the third chapter, you, you get a picture of how beautiful it was in the early days of the history of this church in Galatia. It was just, it was a beautiful thing. And, and I would imagine if you, you know, if they had a church building, one, or, you know, just the various locations, I would imagine that when you walked into these places, man, you just felt the presence of God. You felt the peace of God. Love of God was flowing everywhere. The spirit of God was at work. Miracles, things like that were taking place. And people were being drawn to Jesus. And it was all this beautiful thing. And then these false teachers come in and, and the whole thing stops. It just brings the whole thing to a halt. And that's exactly what legalism will do to a move of the Spirit. And so Paul, just remembering what they had, and now knowing how they've embraced this wrong thing and and what that's done to them, he starts off and he just says to them, Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips, who translated the New Testament from Greek into kind of a paraphrase in English, he, he translated this, you idiotic Galatians. What, what are you thinking? How could you be so stupid? That was kind of his translation. But that's really what Paul is getting at here. How could you be so stupid? How could you embrace this? How could you have been, been experiencing all of this goodness and love and the presence of God and then exchange it for this rigid legalistic thing that's just quenched the spirit. That's foolish. And so what Paul does is he, he goes on here, you know, he says to them, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who, who has cast a spell on you? Paul sees behind the false teachers that there's actually an evil spirit. The Satan himself is the one who's brought them into this bondage. But he goes on here, and in these nine verses, what he does is he, first of all, he's going to appeal to their experience, their own experience, to hopefully jar them, to get them to remember what they've given up or where they came from and what they've lost and to turn back to it. But he's not only going to appeal to their experience, he's going to also appeal to Scripture. And so in verses 1 through 5, he appeals to their experience. In verses 6 through 9, he appeals to Scripture. So in verses 1 through 5, Paul appeals to their own experience to show them their folly. And and here he asks them five questions. They are this. Who has bewitched you, number one? Secondly, how did you receive the Spirit? Taking them back. How was it that you were saved in the first place? receiving the Spirit, he's talking about how was it that the Spirit came into your life initially. And then he asks him another question. He says, do we look to the flesh to bring spiritual perfection? Is that really what, what you think? And then he addressed the issue of their, their having suffered. You, you've suffered for your faith. Has that all been in vain? Are you just going to throw it all away? And then finally he asked, he said, are miracles the result of law-keeping or simple faith in Christ? And then in each one of these statements, there's, there's some argument that he's bringing forth. So with the first one, notice in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, when I was with you, when I preached the gospel to you, it was as though it was the, the gospel came in such power, it was as though you saw Jesus on the cross yourself. It was as though you saw him there and you understood fully that that was all and everything that would ever be needed to save you. Paul's saying, what happened? How, how did you lose that? You understood that at one time. When he says, uh, before whom Jesus Christ was clearly crucified, Paul is indicating that they understood all of the implications of the crucifixion. That the crucifixion meant that salvation was secured. That Jesus had paid the, the full price. Remember, at the end of the life of Jesus, right there, you remember his very last words? His very last words were, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, it is finished, it is accomplished, it has been completed. What is he talking about? The work of redemption. The eternal salvation of man has now been accomplished. Jesus did everything that needed to be done to save us and to secure us for eternity. Paul's saying, you knew that. You started out with that. You understood that. Who has cast a spell on you that you have now lost sight of that? And then secondly, he asked the question, therefore, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How was it that you got saved? Did you get saved by coming under a legal system? Is that how you received the spirit? Is that how the Spirit of God came and took up residence in you? Or was it by the hearing of faith? Now, these guys were pagans. They weren't Jews. They weren't following the law of God. They were not subject to the Ten Commandments. They were involved in, in uh, idolatry and, and idol worship and just living according to their sinful nature. That's, that's where they were at. How did they get saved? No, it wasn't by coming under a legal system. It was by hearing the gospel and receiving it. That's how they received the Spirit, through simple faith. And then, in verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? It's, it's like Paul's, you know, you can almost see him like just going, Oh, what? Are you, are you guys, what, are you crazy? What are you thinking? How can, how can you think this? That you, you've begun in the spirit and now you're going you're gonna to be perfected in the flesh? Your flesh that is tainted by sin is somehow going to make a positive contribution to what Christ did? You think that what Christ did is not enough to save you and you have to, you have to add on to it? Well, all you could add to it is something that's tainted by sin. That's certainly not going to help. But of course, the point is, there was no need to add anything to it because they had begun in the spirit. That's the place. You begin in the spirit, you live in the spirit, you end in the spirit. It all comes back to the spirit. So having begun in the spirit, could you possibly be made perfect in the flesh? The answer is absolutely not. No way. 
Never. And then verse four, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Apparently, the Galatians suffered for their faith. They were persecuted because of their trusting in Jesus. And Paul is saying, are you throwing all of that away? Is that, is that all in vain? Because what they were doing was they were essentially getting ready to just kind of discard their faith in Christ and go under this legal system. And then finally, he says in verse five, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The work of God's spirit. So when Paul came to Galatia, evidently there were miraculous things that were happening. Paul was an apostle and miracles were were worked through his hands. We know that from the book of Acts and other places. And evidently that wasn't limited to Paul. Evidently that kind of activity was being carried on. But was it happening because you adhered to the law or was it happening just because you had put your trust in Jesus? Was the spirit moving and doing miraculous things because you were following meticulously the laws of Moses? And the answer, of course, is no, that had nothing to do with it. And so, as I said, Paul here is appealing to their own experience. He's trying to jar their brains and to get them back to remembering what it was all like initially. Because the truth of the matter is, at this point, as we see as we go further into Galatians, uh, they were miserable at this point. They were biting and devouring one another. They were criticizing one another. There's all kinds of contention and strife in the congregation. And it had gone from this wonderful, beautiful situation to something that was actually probably pretty ugly. And that's what happens when you try to be perfected in the flesh, when you move out of the realm of the spirit and you move into the realm of the flesh, that is always going to happen. So Paul appeals to their experience, but secondly, he appeals to scripture. And so verses six through nine, and you have to see here the, the wisdom of Paul. Paul is a master in the scriptures. And now these men would come and their focus would be on Moses. So they came and they said, well, you know, believing in Jesus, that's fine, you know, but hey, listen, Moses, he's the, he, you know, he gave us the law and, and the law is eternal and there's no getting around obedience to the law. And Moses would have been revered. He was, of course, highly revered in Judaism, but uh, he would have been revered amongst these people as well. And so these false teachers come in and this is, they come in with Moses, but Paul he goes one up on them and he comes in with Abraham because Abraham, of course, was the father of the nation. And so what Paul does is he takes the Galatians back in the scriptures and shows that before Moses was ever born, centuries before Moses ever came and before the law was ever given, Abraham was declared righteous before God in just the very same way that Paul was saying the Galatians had been declared righteous by faith. And so verse six, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. You see, these guys were coming in and say, oh, you want to be real Christians, you really want to please God. You really want to be the sons of Abraham. You got to keep the Mosaic law. Paul says, oh no. No, long before Moses ever came, God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, that's what we see. 
The Lord says to Moses, he takes him out. He tells him, your descendants are going to be like the stars in, in, uh, in heaven as far as innumerable, the sand on the seashore, and through you and your descendants, your seed, one seed individually, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Paul says this as he goes on. Notice he says in verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You see, what Paul is saying is that, listen, the same way that you have gotten saved is the way Abraham was saved. And Abraham was saved that way to set the standard or to give the model for how God was going to save people for all time. Now, as we go on in Galatians, Paul is going to explain that the Jews themselves, and he knew better than anyone because he was one of them, that they had misunderstood the law. And they had somehow thought that the law sort of abrogated the promises to Abraham. But what Paul is going to show is that, no, that's not the case at all. The law was a temporary measure. And it had its purpose, but once it fulfilled its purpose, the, the law was over. And Abraham was always the model. God showed through Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was always the model by which God would save people throughout all time. The Gentiles the, the, during this age, the church age, all of this was, was modeled beforehand by Abraham. So... This is how Paul begins to break down their misunderstandings and begin to move them back toward the path of grace. But I, I want to go back and I want to just look for a minute or two at just the, the whole idea of, you know, his word to them, foolish Galatians. And, and I want to remind us that there are, there are certain things that we might do, we might be tempted to do, that if we were to do these things, we would be in that same category. We would, we would find ourselves in the category of those who are foolish. We would be committing folly if we were to do these things, and some have done them, but here they are. First, we are foolish when we think that we need to add anything to the finished work of Christ. That's foolish. That's folly. To think that, like, like I said earlier, to think that somehow my actions, no matter how well intended they might be, that are, are inevitably tainted by sin because I am a sinner. That somehow my actions are going to contribute to the work of Christ. That is folly to think that. To think that the work of Christ needs to be added to. Now, you know, this is highly offensive to God. Think about this. God says, basically, God says, I, I received the sacrifice of my son. That is sufficient payment. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the proof that God received his sacrifice for our sin. Jesus said he was going to the cross. He was going to pay for the sins of the world. How do we know that God accepted the, the payment? He raised Jesus from the dead. So God says this sacrifice is sufficient. The person who seeks to add to what Jesus did is basically saying to God, God, you know, the sacrifice of your son wasn't really adequate. I, I, I'm going to make a contribution. 
to it. Now, this is not something that just, you know, little sort of weird things that happen sporadically throughout the history of the church and uh, very few people have fallen into this trap. This has been a massive trap for Christians from day one. And listen, for 1,000 years, from about 500 to 1,500, people were taught, the church believed and proclaimed that trust in Christ alone was not sufficient for salvation. You needed to help it out. You needed to add your good works to it. That was essentially the doctrine of the church. That is still pretty much the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church to this day. So this is, like I said, this is not some little matter. This is, this is huge. But it's folly. It's foolishness to think that we can add anything to the finished work of Christ. We cannot. There's nothing that we could possibly add. We are not saved by the death of Jesus and our good works combined. The good works that are part of our lives as believers are the, the result of our faith in Christ and having been saved by him. They're not the cause of it. And we have to always keep that in mind because that gets, that gets reversed so often. It has been reversed so many times over in history. So it's folly to think that way. Secondly, it's foolish when we think that we can obtain salvation through works. But this is the way most people think that you are saved. And listen, this idea that you are saved, if I mean saved in some religions isn't necessarily the right word or the most accurate word, but you know, the idea is that you obtain God's favor, whatever that looks like, whatever that translates to in the end, that you do it through your human effort. That is a universal idea. All religions teach that. You know, people say all religions basically teach the same thing. To some degree, that's true, because all religions teach that you will obtain God's favor, whatever the God is in that particular religious expression, you will obtain God's favor through your human effort. The only religion in the world that says that's not the case is biblical Christianity. And I have to say biblical Christianity because much of Christianity has bought into the other idea. But you see, it's folly. It's utter foolishness to think that we can obtain salvation through our works. All of our works, all of our best efforts on our best day, as I said, still have the taint of sin. It's, it's an impossibility. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us this understanding that salvation is by grace alone. It's through faith alone in Jesus. You know, grace is uh, limited to the gospel. You don't find grace in any other religion. It's only in the gospel. God's unmerited favor directed toward us because of what Jesus did. So again, now, of course, there are some who, who are very aggressive and, 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 you know, intentionally do teach that we need to add to what Christ did by our works. I think probably most of us here, most, most of you listening to me right now, I think you probably do reject that. But, you know, it's still possible that we can subtly fall under that. Even though we know that that isn't the case, isn't it true that sometimes if we think about, if we think about the way we're thinking, we would have to conclude that, well, that must be what I think. 
Do you know how many people have said to me over the years, people that I know are Christians, I think most of the time they know they're Christians, but you know, they have those moments where I've had many people say to me, you know, pastor, I just, you know, I, I know I love Jesus, but I'm just not sure in the end if I'm going to make it. You know what that says? That says that however subtly it is, you are somehow thinking that you have to contribute to your salvation. You have to do something to, to make sure in the end that you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Relax. Because Jesus did the work. And as a Christian, you're trusting him. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you've ever pondered if there is really only one way to God, or if all religions ultimately lead you to God, then this book is for you. Rebecca McLaughlin addresses this very topic and others that confront Christianity head-on. The book Confronting Christianity is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.